Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, my name is Mark Patterson. I am a, an acclaimed sound healer. I have spoken at expos and conferences all over the world about uh, my vocal toning, sound healing, and of course, my near-death experience that happened at the age of 16, which is what I'm going to share with you today. As a child, uh, I was a latchkey kid from Iowa. I grew up in Iowa City, Iowa, and I was very psychic, very, very intuitive as a child. I always knew things about people. I always saw auras and lights around people. And of course, you always know things that you're not supposed to know. You always talk about things that you're not supposed to talk about. And unfortunately, I was often shunned or ridiculed, teased for speaking about things, for knowing things. You know, I, of course, I cannot tell you how many times as a child I heard, don't talk about that. Why do you know that? You shouldn't be saying that. Don't ever say that again. Don't you tell anyone. And so you learn, unfortunately, to not trust yourself. You learn to tune out your abilities or you, you turn out to dismiss them, so to speak. And, and not only that, but you're always uh, seeing lights, uh, seeing energy, uh, seeing things around people. And you receive visitations from ETs, from angels. And you really, you know, when you're a child, you really have no one to talk to about it. Because when you do talk about it, you know, everyone tells you to shut the hell up or that you're crazy or that you're just, it was just your imagination, all those things. And my dad uh, was a holy roller. And of course, he, he would always inform me that I was possessed. I was possessed by the devil or uh, I was having some type of uh, satanic experience. So it's confusing. It's confusing as heaven. You know, people would say it's confusing as hell. You know, whatever term you want to use, you feel like you've been discarded, like you don't belong here, like you came from another world and that no one really hears you, no one really sees you, uh, no one really understands you. And that, you know, that loneliness, that feeling of, I guess, abandoned, feeling lonely, feeling misunderstood, feeling discarded really gets to you. And of course, you're, you're called overly sensitive or whatever. And like I said before, you're always teased and taunted. And uh, 
So all that you want to do is you don't want to feel that stuff anymore. You don't want to know things anymore. You don't want to be, because you don't want to be, in a sense, punished for being psychic or being intuitive. So by the time I was 13, 14, I was heavily into alcohol. I was drinking with my, all my friends were older. And so I was drinking, I was experimenting with marijuana and other things. And, but mainly it was alcohol just to shut down, to shut it out. I didn't want to feel anymore. And, you know, trying to explain visitations from ETs or being an experience with ETs or uh, angels or the masters, as I know it was back then. I mean, it was almost forbidden, you know, because you were just viewed as a, a basket case. As a child, I would dream over and over again, everything I wanted, Disneyland, Disney World, Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, feeling loved, feeling accepted, feeling uh, that I belonged. I always dreamt about those things were inside my bedroom closet. Anytime I, I didn't feel like I was wanted or good enough or worthy, I'd always find myself in my dream state in that bedroom closet. Again, everything that I ever wanted, feeling love, feeling peace, feeling just happy. I was always found myself in my dreams inside that bedroom closet of mine growing up. Well, you know, 40 years later, you finally realize that the metaphor of that dream about being inside the bedroom closet was that everything you want, everything that you already are, everything that you are ready to, to become is inside with you. You know, the bedroom closet was just a metaphor for what's already within you. And that is very, very true. So by the time I was 16 years old, I was at a high school party at the uh, Canterbury Inn in Coralville, Iowa. I thought I was going to be really cool. I was going to impress my friends. So there were probably about 10 or 12 of them that got in a circle around me. And I began to chug down a fifth of vodka. And so they were going, go, 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 chug, 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 chug. So I literally chugged a fifth of vodka, drank four beers, two glasses of wine, and probably three or four wine coolers in about uh, 90 minutes. Uh, needless to say, uh, my body went into cardiac arrest, and I collapsed on the bathroom floor at the Canterbury Suites in Coralville, Iowa. And all of a sudden, I found myself outside of my body, very frantic, very scared, going, what the hell is going on? Almost instantaneously as I left my body, my grandfather, Russell, who passed away probably when I was about two or three years old, greeted me. And of course, when I was growing up, he always called me Marcus Aurelius. So he said, uh, Marcus Aurelius, you're going home. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, I, I really didn't. So then there was a large light that opened up that they talk about. And there was like this, it's just hard to describe in, in words. I think the only thing that's close to this is I was in Ireland in 2005. And um, there were two beautiful women from the Ukraine who were outside on the streets of Dublin. And they were singing soprano. One was soprano and one was alto soprano and they were singing in just perfect unison and harmony and that's what you hear you hear like the celestial choir or uh, the bible refers it to as the low heat you talk about this like multi-dimensional 
sense of reality and that you're there's many dimensional realities at once but you're aware of them and you're aware of the angelic realms and as you open up to this experience you know russell was with me and he kind of guided me to this place the best thing that was close to what i experienced was a course from the empire strikes back a city of the clouds and that's to me what it was what I think of when I recall this experience that I had when I was 16 was City of the Clouds and The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars. If you want to know the truth, watch Star Wars. Star Wars is very real. And so I was greeted by seven angels. They were female in appearance. And I think that they appear that way because they want to be able to communicate to you without uh, frightening you or scaring you away. So, um, they were about 14 feet tall each, female in appearance, and there was like the hologram of my life. Anyone who's had a near-death experience will tell you that it's not that you're judged, it's not that you're punished, but there is a, a life review and there is a discussion of kind of where you got it right, kind of where you didn't get it so right, what things you need to work on. And of course, when you're a teenager, all that you ever do is you're angry, you're resentful, you blame, especially, you know, when you're a very intuitive child and the planet is really effing confusing, you know, because no one understands you, no one gets you. And, you know, they think that you're the crazy one. You know, they address those feelings, they, they address that experience. But most importantly, is that they ask you this one question. You know, anytime that you're angry, resentful, or blamed, or, or you blame other people, they ask, how does that relate to love? How does that relate to love? And everything in our life is about love, your ability to give your love away. So the word forgiving, forgiving, you are forgiving your love away, no matter what happens to you. If you're always out forgetting things, you're out getting things. You are forgetting everything that you can. You are forgetting who you really are. And so, um, you know, there's a review of my life. And then Russell, and this is like, you know, time over there and time over here are two different things. As Russell was taking Mark, you know, who was in my body from conception to 16, off into another dimensional reality there is a 30-foot being introduced me to and uh, this being has tremendous love just pure energy pure light pure love for me for who i am you know and all this is like even though there's a quote time that elapsed it's also simultaneous and simultaneously you know going on all at once and that's the truth about time past, present, and future are all going on now. It's all here now. It's like those things, those pictures. When you have a picture in your hand and you look at it one way, there's one image. You look at it another way, there's a second image. When you look at it a third way, there's another image. But all those images are superimposed on, on top of each other. What's well, true with the universe here on Earth? You know, all the realities, past, present, future, they're all superimposed on top of each other. And depending on how much of the light spectrum your consciousness is allowed to perceive, 
determines on how aware or awake you are. The more the wavelength of light, the light spectrum you can see, the more awake you are. And this is why the Mayans said that it's an illusion. It's not an illusion because it's not real. This is very real. It's an illusion because you only most the average person sees only 2% of the light spectrum. You know, someone that sees auras, they might see 3 or 4%, and someone that perceives, you know, other people who have crossed over might see 4 or 5%. But there's a whole wavelength of light that we don't see, you know, like bees see colors that we don't see, dogs hear sounds that we don't see, but there's other universes and realities that are right here. The quote in the Bible is, you know, the house I live in is in many mansions. This is a multidimensional universe. So this large being was about 30 feet. And again, that's what it, how it appeared to me. Had to been about 30 feet tall, maybe 40. It had much love for me. And it formed an icosahedron, which is a geometric pattern. that It's one of the solids that comes an icosahedron, almost like the shape of a basketball. That being merged formed the icosahedron, then it merged into my heart and brought me back to life. I mean, I was gone. I was completely dead, unconscious. Whatever comatose, whatever you state you want to call it. My skin was green, purple, and black. You come back to life and that's a shock. In that exchange, there was a lot of information about sound, sacred geometry, I cannot even begin to tell you all the shapes, all the information that was given to me about sacred geometry, sound, frequencies, and tones, and things like that. And then they were very specific about a caste system. It's called the caste system, a priesthood called Melchizedek. The Melchizedek priesthood, the caste system is a hierarchy of individual beings that basically exist beyond time and space. And that being, that 30-foot being, came down through realities. Drenvalo Melchizedek tells a story about coming down through the realities and like pushing blocks, pushing like large blocks and going through the pyramids of Egypt, which I've, I've been to, and what it had to take to come back to this third-dimensional reality from a much higher uh, state. So that being took over. And there was a lot of information about the Melchizedek precedent in the Bible. It says that Jesus is like Melchizedek. And often, like when we have an athlete, we'll say that he is like Michael Jordan, or that he, you know, I'll just say, I'll say that he is like Michael Jordan, because Michael Jordan is the great one, or he is like Wayne Gretzky, because they are the best, the, the highest, the best. And so uh, Jesus is now forever a priest of Melchizedek, of the Melchizedek order. So, and he is like Melchizedek. So um, that there is a reference to that. There is a statue of Melchizedek in Wales. And that is the reference that we do know of. And, I, and I'll get to the story of Drunglo Melchizedek and how I met him here in just a little bit. So many people have asked me over the years, well, how did that whole thing transform you? How did it change you? Well, the first thing is that 
for about three or four days, the thing that I, I really didn't know who I was, where I was at, I kind of knew that was my mom. I kind of knew that I was in Iowa, but everyone looked really, really small, probably for about three or four days. And then I want to say by the fifth, sixth day, somewhere around there, also Mark, I mean, the identity of Mark, my mom, my family kind of merged. So that is when the walk-in finally fully took over. And I was Mark in Iowa. I'm a teenager, a normal teenager. And so, um, but it made me more sensitive. I mean, it made me more intuitive. It made me more open to things. And so I remember that shortly after that experience, I was up in uh, Door County, Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, which is a beautiful, beautiful heartland, America. That's a, a really beautiful part of this country. And I was with my uh, friend, Peter. We were staying up there. We had just got done playing in a, a baseball tournament together. And I don't know, one morning I just woke up. I went to Peter's mom and said, you know, you really need to call your daughter and tell her not to come up. And, you know, it's the same response. You know, people think you're crazy. They didn't understand me. And I said, look, I don't think you understand. Um, she just cannot be up here right now. They said, look, she's bringing her fiance. We've been planning this for a while. We're really looking forward to this. And I know that you've been seeing us fighting. If that's bothering, I go, no, you know, that's not what bothering me. What's bothering me, but you really have to understand that, um, you have to call your daughter and tell her not to come come up. And then later that night, I was about as cold as possible and blunt. And I said, look, your daughter cannot be here. She cannot come up. Well, they got real upset with me and they uh, sent me home on a Greyhound bus back to Iowa the next morning. Unfortunately, she was killed in the car accident on the way coming up. Again, I was I was overwhelmed. You know, you gave me this message to give to them. They didn't listen. I just was drinking again. I was smoking marijuana, hash, sensibilia. I think from 16 to 19, I was doing something, usually marijuana, just to numb it out because I didn't want to hear the voices. I didn't want to see the lights. I didn't want to try to help people because it just seemed like it was pointless. They're not gonna to listen to me, so why bother trying anyway? I tried to save her life, it didn't work out. I think for many years I, I carried a lot of guilt over her dying because I felt like I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So uh, I, I wanna say maybe around this age of 17, 18, another childhood friend of mine, Toby, his mom, Pat, Patty Lou, she introduced me to Dick Sutphin. Dick Sutphin wrote the book, You Were Born Again to Be Together, which is about reincarnation, soulmates. I mean, I read that book in like two days. I was completely absorbed, fascinated with like soulmates and reincarnation, you know, all those things. It just really was an incredible book. And then at the same time, she introduced me to John. John the Apostle from the Bible. Now I gotta be careful about this. So Jerry Bowman and Joe Albiani. Joe Albiani was an attorney out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. 
And Jerry Bowman was a Vietnam vet who had become a trans channel. And Jerry Bowman channeled John, John the Apostle. Now, many of you have probably heard of Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine's channel was Kevin Ryerson. Kevin Ryerson channeled John. You know, Jerry Bowman would go into a trance. He would say profound things. Their show was called The Out of the Ordinary Show in KIEB, KIEB FM in Los Angeles, California. I was real fascinated with what John was saying. I'd always like ask uh, Patty Lou if she had the next tape, if she had this or that. And, um, you know, I think every week there was a new tape from John from the Out of the Ordinary Show in KIEB in Los Angeles, California. And all of a sudden I found that John was listening to on these videotapes and on these uh, cassette tapes was speaking to me. He was coming to me in my dreams and saying things like, we never use the truth to be right. We never use the truth to make others wrong. We never use the truth to score points for our ego. We never use the truth to belittle others. He would say things like, the kingdom of God is within you. Why do you seek anything else? Or he would say something like, you know, a master is not called a master because he himself says so, but a master is called master because those who witness him say that he is master. You know, he all of a sudden became a profound influence in my life, you know, giving me a lot of information. And of course, you know, when you're 17, 18, 19 years old, there's too many blondes, there's too many brunettes, there's, you know, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, woo, you know, and those things that are important to you as a teenager kind of unfortunately override those messages. But it wasn't just John that was coming to me. There was a lot of information, like 18 to 25, there was a lot of information that was given to me a lot about the um, history of the Catholic Church, the corruption of the Catholic Church. You know, make no mistake about it, they are the most corrupt institution on this planet. And a lot of the um, those messages about being whole, returning to wholeness and and expanding consciousness. And again, it's like, you know, you're one, you're a male, you're a teenager, and you, you're in Iowa. Again, I, I would say it was just, it was overwhelming. And um, so John, and then it was Lazarus, who spoke to me quite frequently. And then I think it was in 92, 93, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, where I worked at 82 Queen. And this is getting into how I met Drunvalomo Kizadek, and which I, God knows what reason I forgot to tell the story on the last podcast with Jeff. I was with a group of people doing a Reiki circle, kind of learning about this thing. And we were all watching these videotapes called The Flower of Life with John Below Melchizedek. It's about sacred geometry, the Sphinx, the pyramids, the Fibonacci spiral, how everything is based on mathematics, sound, and frequency. And John Below was a walk-in. And this story about how he walked in and how he went through dimensional realities 
was almost verbatim identical to what I had experienced in my native experience and going through the international realities to come down through time and space to be here on earth in this time. This is my background. My quote, real job is my background is in hospitality. So I was a server 82 Queens. It's a restaurant that's still there down in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. Every night, this guy, why I'm watching these videotapes and why we're, you know, doing this kind of group thing, the Reiki Circle, the Unity Church there in uh, Leeds Avenue, North Charleston. And every night, this guy comes in for five nights in a row. And every night, no matter what section I'm in, what no matter what section I'm in, and there's like 11, 12 dining areas at 82 Queen, and it's spread out 11,000, 12,000 square feet and a very historic property down in Charleston. And every night, this guy ends up in my section. And the last night he's there, I could feel the beings, like the, there was like a team of angels. And these angels come to me and they go, we need you to talk to him about the videotapes you're watching. If you are familiar with the restaurant terminology, the restaurant lingo, I am in the weeds. I have six tables. And we have an hour and a half wait. And back then, of course, 82 Queen was the show in town. It was the premier restaurant. And I'm just thinking, you guys are just, that sounds great and lovely, but it's just not going to happen. And I'm kind of talking to him and I'm hearing these voices, you know, showing me this stuff, these images. And I'm taking his order and he's got his son, Sean, and his wife is there. And, and again, they're like, no, they're really like pushing, pointing fingers and pushing me and, you know, all that stuff. And they're like, no, 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 please, please. We need you to talk to him. They're pointing directly. Oh, I know his name is now Roger after the fact because I didn't know his name. Didn't kind of know his name back then. They're like, no, we really need you to do this. And I'm like, I'm just like, no, I'm not doing it. So I go to leave the table, right? So I'm physically pushed back to the table by an unseen force. And this guy is kind of looking at me like really strange, like, you know, what the hell is going on here? You know, and they're like, Mark, you need to talk to him about these videotapes you're watching. It's really important that you do this. And so I finally take a deep breath going, man, what am I going to ask this guy? And so um, I finally look at him and go, hey, are you by chance a mathematics professor? Because I'm asking, what the hell do I ask this guy, you know? And he goes, looks at me and goes, Mark, what did you really want to ask me? And I'm going, well, you know, I'm watching these videotapes on sacred geometry, the flower of life, the pyramids. And he goes, you have those drawn below Melchizedek tapes? You have them? Where did you get those videotapes? I have to have those videotapes. And I was like, hey, Roger, I'm sorry. You know, they're not my videotapes, but I will call Rosemary and see if I can give them to you. And he goes, please call her. Can you call her right now? Like, I'll call her tomorrow morning, you know. So I call her the next morning. I go, hey, Rosemary, this guy. This guy's 
adamant. I mean, he's adamant that these videotapes belong to him and that he needs to have these videotapes. So I'm like, is it okay if I give them to him, you know? And she goes, yeah, sure, Mark, why not? Go ahead and give them to him. So I meet Roger and his son, Sean, and a couple days later, and we meet up at 82 Queen, and I give him the videotapes. And a few months pass by. I don't hear anything from him. I have no idea what's going on. And uh, one morning, I'm walking to work, and I get, because at the time, it took me about 15, 20 minutes to walk to work. And I get to work, and I show up, and again, these voices come back to me. They go, we need you to go to your manager and tell her that you have to go home. I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, this is crazy. I just got here. You got to work. You know, I'm scheduled to work today. You know, they're expecting me to work. They go, no, no, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Just tell her that you need to go home. So I go up to uh, Missy. I think her name was Melissa, but she went by Missy at the time. I go, hey, you know, I, I guess I'm really not feeling well. Are you okay if I leave home? She looks at me and goes, yeah, no problem. And so the voices come back to me and they go, would you please go directly to your apartment? Please don't stop anywhere along the way. We ask that you would go directly to your apartment. So sure, why not? So I'm walking home and I go directly to my apartment. It was a traditional Carlson Keratome flip bubble that was converted into apartments. And as I open the door, it's Roger, who I gave the videotapes to. Roger is calling me from France. And he says, Mark, I just wanted to thank you so much for these videotapes. Uh, would you like to work with Trunvalo Melchizedek in person? And I'm like, sure, you know, of course, you know, yeah, you know, what do I need to do? What's going on? Where's it at? He says, uh, it's going to be up at Cope Crest, North Carolina, which is like that area is like the North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee border and the Smoky Mountains, which is I, I'm up in the Asheville, North Carolina area. So it's real close to here. He said, thank you for the videotapes. Everything's been paid for. I just cannot thank you enough. So that's one of those things, you know, that we call uh, synchro destiny. That's what Deepak Chopra says synchro destiny where everything lines up perfectly and you receive that divine guidance and you're at the right place in the right time but most importantly you trust because i could have chosen to walk away i could have chosen to say hell no but i i trusted that guidance and i really think that that is how life is supposed to work that that's a flow moment that you're in flow that you're in divine consciousness you're in divine intuition you're in divine flow and you receive that you know information so of course i went to that and back then that was when drunvalo was teaching those classes directly firsthand and it wasn't his facilitators and he was doing 10 10 12 hour days for 10 days and you know i was downloaded with all this information that just resonated with all the information that I would receive and was given in my near-death experience. Just all the patterns, how they interlocked, how they expanded the flower of life symbol, which is over in Abydos, 22,000 years old, the tree of life from the mystic Kabbalah, the Platonic solids from Plato, 
and then the Merkaba meditation, which again, they talked to me about, you know, when I crossed over when I was 16, it was just verbatim, just perfect match, a perfect alignment of all those things that I was shown when I was 16 years old. I want to say that some of the most direct communications that I had from John was probably when I was in Charleston and I was in Charleston, South Carolina, the first time from 92 to 96. Then I was there again more recently from 2016 to 2020. But he and Lazarus would come to me a lot in my dreams. In fact, they kind of downloaded a, almost, I want to say like a screenplay about the abuse of power of the Catholic Church from the events of Tehuacan in 790, 780, 790 AD to the, the Inquisitions the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the Salem Witch Trials, to the, the pedophile priest, on and on and on. A lot of information about geometry and that seems to be who I am and who I am about. And uh, shortly after that time, I came back to Iowa for the summer. And at 1.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from a woman I never met, never spoke with before. I really how she got my numbers kind of really vague. She went into great detail describing events from my childhood that no one knew about. And again, I think I may have told two people about my near-death experience, about what happened, about me crossing over, having that experience. I told my best friend, Dean, who I just spoke with today, it was his birthday the other day, today, yesterday, whatever it was. And the girl I was dating at the time, Kirsten, they were the only two that had known about it. Most people, including my classmates at the time, thought that I had just become unconscious, unconscious that I passed out from drinking too much. Just a high school party that happens all the time. So uh, they're the only two that really knew that that had happened. I didn't talk about it. So she calls me at 1.30 in the morning, and she just starts describing things from my childhood that no one knew about. She talked about my bedroom closet and that it was a metaphor for everything that's inside of you already. And she described my near-death experience verbatim. She described what the information that they gave me about sacred geometry, about sound, about the Melchizedek priesthood about that lineage, about coming down from interdimensional realities from down from time and space. And again, it was just what she said, what Drunvalo said, and what was communicated to my guides and teams, my helpers about the Great White Brotherhood, the Melchizedek Order, just verbatim. And so it went from, well, did that happen? Was that just a dream was that just another reality or whatever was it real because you know even though it was very real you know when you're a teenager you have a lot of questions and questions that really couldn't be answered questions because you really didn't have anyone to talk to when she told me that then it became real that had really happened to be and again this was almost 10 years after crossing over you know to hear that was real validation that what happened to me was very real that confirmed you know the whole experience and everything so um many people have asked me over the years uh did i ever meet her in person then yeah we did we met 
in Portland, Oregon. We met a few times, and then uh, around 1999, 2000, uh, I lost communication with her from her. I don't know what happened to her. I'm not going to go into her name. She was extremely private, extremely private, almost to the point where she was, I mean, really felt, you know, that she had too much information. I want to say 99, 2000 was the last time I heard from her. But yeah, she was a very, a very real person. One of the things that came up was I was literally, true story, I was literally in the process of, I was in Iowa for the summer. I was literally getting ready to go back go back to Charleston, South Carolina. And about two days before she called me, an old childhood mentor of mine, Luis, Luis called me to inform me that he had accepted the job as a the associate professor, associate head, associate head of psych, the psychology department at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And he said, you know, you should think about getting your degree. And I really, I said, you know, I just called 82 Queen again, so I was coming back to make sure it was okay if I'd come back. And and they were like, yeah, we want you back. And yeah, coming back. And I said, you know, I'm literally getting ready to leave for uh, Charleston. So it was about two days after that phone call is when she called me. And I was telling her about what was going on in my life. And I was getting ready to go back to Charleston. She's like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, Mark, you have to go to Las Cruces. You're meant to go to Las Cruces, New Mexico. So again, I trusted, and um, I went to Las Cruces, New Mexico, and that's where I went to undergraduate, graduate school. And about a year after that time, I started doing presentations. I spoke at conferences and expos all over the world. From 1997 to 2002, I spoke at Unity Religious Science Churches, Colorado, New Mexico, Southern California. El Paso, Texas, all those Las Cruces, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Santa Fe. And then from, I want to say, 2002 to 2017, I, I spoke at Congress and Expos all, all over the world uh, about my vocal toning, sound, sound healing, crossing over, and that. So the things that I got out of the near the experience as we kind of wrap up here. Number one, and I want you to get this, take this to heart. You have never, never done anything wrong. You cannot fail at being a human. You are not guilty of doing anything wrong because you've never done anything wrong. There are only actions and consequences. It's us humans that the human collective that decides, oh, that's bad or whatever, that's good or different. You are loved, 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 loved. You are loved no matter what you do or don't do. You are loved initially. And I experienced that full hand when I crossed over when I was 16. And I want to say about four or five years ago, I, I was in my dream state. I was taken to that place again to have a reminder of what that's like to be really feel really loved. And you're never alone. Your guides, your angels, your team, they're always with you always there, always there for your guidance, to help you, to guide you, to bless you. And all you have to do is ask and trust. Life was never meant to be a struggle, but we resist. We resist who we really are, and that's all that it's about. It's about either allowing or resisting. And you're here to embrace your humanity. I cannot emphasize it enough. 
You're going to have that bottle of wine. You're going to do those one-night stands. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. Love all of it. Love all of it. Love that you allowed that to happen in your life. You embrace your humanity then, but then you allow your divinity to flow through you as you because that's who you are. And know that you are always that God, whatever you mean, God, Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Sai Baba, Mir Baba, whatever name you call it, it's within you, it's within you right now. And it just wants to embrace you. Then it wants to expand. So as we shift consciousness from an external God that really doesn't exist, external God that's judging you to an internal God, there's an external higher power, but not in the way the Bible describes it, to an internal God that is embracing you, that loves you, that believes in you, that is always empowering you to be who you really are. And who you are is that child of God in whom she is most pleased. You are a wonderful human being with so much to share. Just if you would just believe in your now, your voice would move mountains. And all I have to say is namaste, go at peace, and do your best. My website is Mark Patterson. It's mark-patterson.com. That's M-A-R-K hyphen Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N.com. If any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to contact me. I look forward to hearing from you. Blessings. Namaste.